A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. I've always had to work hard. When you come from where I come from, you know, I, was, I was born to a single parent. My mother and my brother and myself, we struggled. I'm used to hard work. Sean Bailey, the Conservative candidate for London Mayor, speaking to the Evening Standard's Ross Lydell. He's clearly in no doubt about how difficult this campaign has been and the hard work is far from over. Polls show him trailing Sadiq Khan by quite a wide margin as we edge ever closer to the vote itself on May 6th. This week, an opinion poll for the Evening Standard put Sean Bailey on 28% on first preferences. Sadiq Khan has 53%. If that gap holds, Mr Khan would be the first candidate ever to be elected without the need for a second round. Well, Ross is with me now. And Ross, in your interview with Sean, did he strike you as a candidate who thinks he's going to lose? Sean Bailey, to be fair to him, gave quite a bravara performance yesterday. He seemed entirely relaxed. He's actually, you know, on a human level, he's quite a likable chap. He's um, been cast, his own PR man said, as something of the pantomime villain. And uh, his critics have consistently dug up some rather embarrassing or foolish or downright offensive comments we could say that he's made in the past when he was working either as a, a youth worker or for David Cameron in 10 Downing Street as a sort of youth and crime advisor. Since he became uh, the mayoral candidate for the Tories, he's been much more cautious, but he does still have a bit of a tendency to rather put his foot in it. Now, the latest stories around his campaign revolve on two things, or around two things. One is that apparently Tory donors have been rather shy in coming forward with open checkbooks and there's been a a general lack of enthusiasm for his campaign. And the other is he uh, made a rather unfortunate, or certainly according to critics, uh, intervention in the Sarah Everard case prior to police bringing charges there when subsequent to her disappearance he was accused of politicising the uh, the kidnap and disappearance of of Sarah Everard. So in terms of, you know, put it to Sean, you know, what is the state of your campaign? Are you confident you're going to make it over the line that you can regain this enormous gap that Sadiq has built up? And he he was confident, he felt that basically now uh, with the the campaign uh, sort of formally opening on Monday, uh, and as things move slightly away from COVID, he would get a better hearing and people would concentrate more on the issues than on COVID uh, in particular. And he basically said that any uh, negative coverage he had had recently in terms of his own campaign or, or what he'd said was down to mischief in the papers, as he said. He has previously com- complained that um, the papers are biased and he towards Sadiq. He said there are too many left-wing journalists who um, 
want to uh, give Sadiq an easy ride and I'm not keen to big him up, as he, he said in his own way. I've had a great time because I've been able to garner support from people who traditionally wouldn't even vote. I rate the, the campaign because we've been able to reach deep into communities. I've spoken to all manner of groups from, you know, female pressure groups to religious groups to, to people who are into um, urban wildlife. I've just spoken to everyone and it's been... Um, it's been really interesting. So given there is, or appears to be, according to the polling, such a huge gap between Sadiq Khan and Sean Bailey right now, what are the avenues for attack available to Sean? Where is he going? Where does he think the weaknesses are in the mayoral campaign? So Sean believes that Sadiq's record is weak and he is going to focus on three areas, crime, housing and transport. And particularly on crime, obviously we're well aware of the number of knife crime incidents and the number of murders over Sadiq's term. If you look at what's happened in London, the big thing is crime. And my specific plan to target crime, you can break down into two categories. So one is policing and, and the other is societal. That's why you hear me talk about 8,000 extra officers on the street. It's why you hear me talking about putting CCT cameras on every bus stop so women and girls can feel safe in London. But also, you also see me looking at the other end, providing 4,000 youth workers in London and 32 youth zones. However, the interesting thing is that the poll the standard did a few days ago asked about these, asked this sample of more than a thousand Londoners what they thought were the key issues. Londoners said the number one issue just now was COVID, the pandemic and health, the state of NHS, which is perhaps not surprisingly, but also inter interestingly, it said crime was the second most important issue for London going forward. However, the bad news for Sean in that poll was that he underperformed Sadiq in all of these issues. So even though Sean thinks Sadiq is weak here, Londoners don't seem to agree. They think Sadiq's actually got slightly better uh, policies for tackling crime, uh, improving the supply of housing and uh, keeping transport on track. And we've had this wildcard entrant from Lawrence Fox. Is that likely to impact Sean Bailey's voting at all? Is he going to pull any supporters away from him? If Lawrence Fox was going to get votes from anywhere, you would think it would be more from sort of right-wing Londoners than left-wing Londoners. Now, our polling didn't indicate any support at all for Lawrence Fox. Basically, there are many uh, less-unknown candidates who together polled just about 2%, uh, even UKIP. I think Lawrence Fox is certainly making a bit of a noise on social media, but I think it's highly unlikely that he would come second and then end up in a runoff with Sadiq. So the way the, the voting system works is that people could quite happily vote Lawrence Fox one and Sean Bailey two, and then Sean would get their top up votes. But I think really Lawrence Fox is just a little bit of entertainment in the, the whole sort of... Um, the circus of the mayoral campaign, if you like, rather than a serious contender either to Sean coming second or to Sadiq coming first as, as things currently stand. All of this being said, and, and the polls notwithstanding, after the interview with Sean Bailey, you uh, you met someone who's pretty convinced he's going to win, didn't you? That's right. Well, you know, the interview took a couple of parts yesterday. Sean was very generous with his time, to be fair to him. He came into the Evening Standard offices in Kensington. He's, he's an East London lad. He, he made the trek over... Uh, and he was very happy, gave us a lot of time, happy to chat. And uh, we decided to do the sort of second part of the interview when I was joined by my colleague, Susanna Butter. We went out to a little garden round the back of High Street Kensington. And just to say on that, as we crossed the road, I did ask him, um, you know, the cycling in High Street Kensington having been quite an issue, whether should he become mayor, whether he would reintroduce it. And he said, 
Elizabeth would kill me if I did. And by Elizabeth, he means Elizabeth Campbell, the leader, the Tory leader of Kensington and Chelsea Council. So sadly, no good news there. But the most curious thing that happened really was there we were sat down in this little park just behind the Ivy Brasserie restaurant, David, that I'm sure you frequent often in the old days. And uh, all of a sudden, entirely out of the blue, this sort of middle-aged lady came up and said, oh, Sean, Sean, can I have a picture? I love you. And Sean said, of course, I'm happy to do a picture. No problem, as long as we keep socially distanced. And then they, they did this little selfie together, had a little bit of fun. And then this lady said, Sean, you're going to be the next mayor. I predict you're going to win. And uh, she said, I know you will win. I'm a clairvoyant. And I said, are you really a clairvoyant? And she said, yes. And her friend who was with her then got her business card out. And uh, indeed, her name was Madame Vanya. So she predicts a Sean Bailey victory. So um, if it's in the tea leaves, then Madame Vanya is the one to follow. Never mind the posters, follow the clairvoyant instead. You can see the video of Ross's interview with Sean Bailey at standard.co.uk, where you'll also find more analysis. Now, you don't need a fortune teller to predict when the ads are coming. Here they are, and while they're on, hit the follow button on your podcast provider to make sure you never miss an episode of The Leader Podcast. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, there's a campaign underway to build a permanent reminder of the COVID-19 era and those who were lost during it. But what could a memorial to this pandemic look like, particularly somewhere like London, which has been so badly hit? Our political reporter, Sophia Slay, is covering the story for the Evening Standard. And Sophia, this campaign is gathering a lot of high-level support. Yeah, you're right. Um, it it's very much sounds like we are going to get a memorial. And the Prime Minister last night in his press conference on the one-year anniversary said... We've suffered so many losses. And for so many people, our grief has been made more acute because we've not been able to see our loved ones in their final days, to hold their hands, or even to mourn them together. And at the right moment... We will come together as a country to build a fitting and a permanent memorial to the loved ones we've lost and to commemorate this whole period. Obviously, as you, as you touched on, the debate now is, well, what's that going to be? You know, there's a strong argument that it, there has to be something in the centre of London, certainly considering how hard London was hit 
by coronavirus. And, you know, top, this top TV historian, Dan Snow, he's backed a campaign by um, a group called March for Change. They're basically calling for a COVID memorial on Whitehall. He, he said to me that he would like sort of something actually along the lines of the Cenotaph, which is such an effective memorial because... He sort of, how he described it to me was, he said it was a big lump of rock, you know, in the middle of the road. You can't ignore it. He said, you know, decision makers will walk past that every single day. Those decisions um, that were made by leaders all that time ago to go to war, you know, are are still so ever present um, at the heart of Whitehall. And so that's why it's so significant to have something there. And part of the campaign as well is they'd like to see an an annual day of remembrance on the 23rd of March where sort of people could come and lay wreaths at the memorial whatever form that takes I mean I suppose there's going to be a huge debate on on what that's actually going to look like um and given given how heated we get over statues and memorials nowadays it it might get a bit (laughs) it might get a bit heated yeah, I was going to say that the statues and that type of thing seem to have gone out of fashion, don't they, Sophia? That's one way of putting it. Gone out of fashion for some, not necessarily others. It's a very controversial topic, I think, at the moment. Well, I say controversial. Controversial between some people. I think a lot of people don't really care. There's a lot of reflection taking place right now over monuments and... And it's, it's understandable, you know, there's a lot of statues to some pretty unscrupulous men from history out there on our streets. You know, some pretty, pretty bad men who, who wanted to be remembered in a certain way. It takes a certain type of man to build a statue for themselves. But, you know, there's some, uh, some fantastic m- memorials as well. You know, the, the Churchill one is iconic. And obviously that was vandalised uh, within the last year. And that was hugely controversial. On the flip side, there was the Colston statue in Bristol, the slaver that um you know got got pulled down and that was a huge historical debate going on there so uh, what what sort of dan snow the historian said to me was this memorial it would be neutral and that's what i quite quite liked about this idea is is that it won't be about any one person it's not about some strong man from history or anything like that it would be a neutral place where people could come and reflect upon you know what happened really and people are being invited to put in their own ideas as well, aren't they, Sophia? There's a, there's a website that's been set up. Yeah, that's it. Um, so members of the public can basically submit their ideas on... Um, there's a COVID Memorial Day portal. Um, and the link's on our, on our website, which you can click through from the Dan Snow interview. Um, and you can basically submit, submit your ideas, which is, is quite a nice thing. Um, and I suspect there'll be quite a big consultation that goes into whatever memorial we do choose for London. And actually, I think there'll be more memorials throughout the country you know i think local councils will want to remember what what's happened in in their their boroughs and things like that there's more from sophia in the evening standard newspaper and at standard.co.uk and that's the leader podcast join us again tomorrow at 4 p.m